Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I'm not doing the message this morning, by the way, just to get that off the table. Um, my name is Kevin Jackson, and I am an elder here at Windsor Road Christian Church. And uh, for the next month, I'll be serving as the um, chair of the elder leadership team. Uh, so I wanted to welcome you to Windsor Road, but also wanted to welcome you to the Advent season. And Advent, that's the time in which we anticipate the coming of Christ, both his first coming and his return. Um, as we go through this season, uh, Randy has prepared. Uh, Randy, that's our senior pastor who isn't here today, but, um, but he's prepared a, a sermon series entitled The One True Gift. The One True Gift. And in that series... Uh, we're going to explore how magnificent this gift really is as we open up the Word. This morning's sermon, uh, we have a, a special treat, and it's connected to something very special that's happening this afternoon, which you're all invited to at 3 o'clock p.m. Uh, we have two of our staff that are going to be ordained, formerly ordained. Um, Valina Claiborne is our outreach uh, minister, and uh, Connor Bunting is our student ministry director, and um, they're both uh, going to be ordained this afternoon. We're just excited about that, uh, excited to commission them, send them out, set them apart uh, for specific ministry. And in connection with that, we thought it would be a great, great thing on this ordination Sunday to hear from them. And so this morning, our sermon is going to be brought to us by, by Valina and Connor. So, Valina. I think I have a hallelujah section over there. <laughs> Good morning. As Kevin said, um, my name is Valina Claiborne, and I'm the outreach director here at Windsor Road Christian Church. And Sierra did say that y'all looked good today, and you guys do look really good today. So um, before we get started, I just want to open us in a word of prayer. So if we could pray together. Um, Heavenly Father, we just, we thank you for this day. Um, dear God, we praise you and we thank you that your word is living and that it is active and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And God, I pray that you'll take this um, little message that Connor and I are going to give today and that you will divide it up into hundreds of pieces so that everyone hearing this message um, will know that they have heard from you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So it's the holiday season. And I don't know about you guys, but I tend to operate under a low grade of irritation like the entire month of December if I can be honest. Um, and realistically, it probably goes all the way until Easter, you know? <laughs> because getting together with family, um, that can cause me to get a little bit irritable sometimes. I don't know about you guys, but you know, there are families out there, um, and it may be yours. I know definitely it's, it's mine that um, when we think about getting together for, for dinners and celebrations, it just brings a little bit of anxiety. And y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't act like I'm in this by myself. I need, I need some nodding going on here, right? So like, think about it. You got that cousin that you haven't seen, nobody has talked to, heard from in months. 
and that cousin shows up with a companion that has everybody in the room giving each other the side eye. <laughs> yep. Or, or what about um, the auntie that after everyone has eaten, she volunteers to help you come and clean the kitchen. And you think, this is a great thing. She's going to help me clean the kitchen. And you get really excited about this because this is typically the time when everyone has the itis. That's when they've eaten so much and they just want to take a nap, right? But she is volunteering to help you clean. So you're like, this is great. But then you quickly discover when she's in the kitchen and she starts pulling Tupperware out of her purse that she just wants to secure her leftovers, <laughs> right? That's her motive. And I'm not making this up. This is my auntie, y'all. <laughs> Seriously. And she has no less than 20 pieces of Tupperware in her purse. I don't know how she gets it all in there, but it's in there. And she helps me clean up every single time. I kid you not. I kid you not. So yes, low grade level of irritation. But how would you feel if the message we had today told you how to solve all of that, okay? All of that low-grade level of irritation. Families can bring about stress, but I think that that's because we have the wrong view of what this season is supposed to be about, okay? We take cute pictures and we put them on cards, we send them to people, we post them on social media, we sing songs about being merry and bright. We coordinate outfits. We pick out matching pajamas. And I'm not judging anybody because I had some cute matching pajamas last year, just saying. <laughs> They're really cute. And along with that, we have this Christmas card version of Jesus. Okay? You know what I mean. Christmas card Jesus, he wears a permanent smile, right? And Christmas card Jesus, the only words that ever come out of his mouth are meant to make us feel good. But see, there's a real Jesus that we learn about when we read the Gospels, and that Jesus is not so tame. That Jesus, he was rude at times. That Jesus, he always kept it 100. That means he always kept it real. And much of what that Jesus had to say about who he was uniquely, about sexuality, about judgment, it all cut straight across the grain of our culture. So what is that Jesus telling us about unity? We have this real Jesus that confronts injustice and teaches us about love, but what is this real Jesus telling us about unity? Today, our scripture reading is going to come from the book of Philippians. That's on page 980 in your church Bibles. If you don't have a Bible to call your own, just take the one in front of you, put your name on it, and it can be yours. Okay? The scripture will also be up here on the slide, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, 
which is Christ Jesus. Amen? So when we read this particular portion of scripture, we can't help but to conclude that the Philippian church had a problem with unity and with the humility needed to maintain that unity. We can come to that conclusion because Paul probably wouldn't have made um, such a big deal about this in this short letter if it wasn't an issue. Our churches today, and this is WRCC included, we need a refresher on unity and humility. We need to understand that following Jesus means that we are to follow him as servants who humble ourselves. And if we don't understand that, then we'll never truly understand who he is. So let's begin with looking at the issues that Paul points out in the first verse. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy. So in this portion of the scripture, this is an appeal to the blessings and benefits of Christ. Paul is pleading with the Philippian church to listen to what he has to say, to open up their spiritual ears. Paul is saying, if Christ has benefited you in any way, I beg you to listen to me. Let's look at these benefits closely. He says encouragement in Christ, comfort, participation, affection, sympathy. When he's talking about encouragement, that means for us to encourage someone to do something or behave in a certain way. When he says in Christ, we must each have individual unity with Christ if we're ever going to have unity together as a church. So Paul is saying that if Christ has encouraged you in any way by being united with him, to listen. Okay? The word comfort. Here Paul is particularly referring to the comfort that we feel when we realize that we are intensely loved by God. Participation. Paul is reminding us of the participation of the Holy Spirit as an incentive for us to listen. Affection. Here Paul is talking about the heart. He is talking how the heart is the seat and the source of our love. And then we have sympathy. And this is the display of concern that we have over another's misfortune, um, pity, and mercy. And when you put those two words together, affection and sympathy, that's a type of tender compassion that Paul is talking about here. And Paul is pleading that if we have any tenderness within us, any compassion to listen to him. Okay? How many of you guys get the Friday emails? Okay, did you see the link at the bottom to the video? Yeah? No? So, if Paul were doing a YouTube video, he'd be saying, listen, Linda, listen. If you guys remember that. Those of you who are laughing, they remember that. If you don't, it's okay. You can Google it, and it's really, really funny. I promise. So, if your blessings from being a Christian mean anything to you, Paul is saying, listen to me, okay? He's saying that we must have an attitude of humility. And it's the same attitude that Christ Jesus had within himself as well. Look at verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. This is a call to unity. 
Having made the appeal to what we already have in Christ, Paul is now getting to the point, and the point is that this is a command, okay? It's not a suggestion. It's not an option. It's a command, right? Because when God speaks, he speaks not just to be heard, he speaks to be obeyed, and this is what he wants. The same mind, which means to think, occurs three times in our passage. It's twice in verse 2, and then it shows up again in verse 5. Same mind, one mind, this mind is what you see. So here Paul is commanding us to think the same. And let's be clear that Paul is not appealing to just one people group, okay? He is appealing um, to all of us, to everyone, because Paul applauds and he recognizes the differences in people. If you look at 1 Corinthians 12, that's when he is talking about how we are one body um, with different parts. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we all have been baptized in one body by one spirit, and we all share that same spirit, okay? So you see, he's calling all of us to unity, all of us, not just, not just some of us, but all of us. We all may be different. My hair may be thick and curly. Yours may be straight. My skin tone may be of that of milk chocolate, and I have brothers and sisters who have um, caramel skin tone or dark roast coffee or cream. But he's talking to all of us. We are all called to have the same attitude of mind, the same humility, the same way that we think about life, the same way that we think about others, the same way that we think about selflessness. We are to think the same when it comes to selfless humility, okay? He tells us that we are supposed to have the same attitude of mind, the same love, the same spirit, the same purpose, being of one mind, being of one accord, and being of full accord, amen? There's this Greek word, and it's pronounced Sumsukos, it's a noun, and it's a compound word, and it literally means united in spirit. That is what it means, united in spirit. He is commanding our souls um, to beat together as one. He wants us to be united in spirit. He wants us to be in tune with Christ, and he wants us to be in tune with each other. Paul calls us um, to unity with positive exhortation, okay? But he also, he also warns us against selfishness. Let's look at the verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. So what are the false motives that can destroy unity? Well, selflessness and conceit. Those of us that want to try to retain power or are puffed up on our own opinions of ourselves, um, those of us that have like a distorted view of how important we are, okay, these are the attitudes that will kill unity within our church. But if we look at the second part of verse 3 and in verse 4, Paul has considered the opposites of that. Okay? And he has given us a call to humility and selflessness. And he does this by expounding on the virtues of humility. But in humility, 
Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. In the Greek world of Paul's day, humility was looked down upon. It was considered weakness. But we know as Christians that that is far from the truth, right? We know that there is strength in humility. That's our trademark. That's our logo, if you will. It's the way that our master lives. And the reason why is this is far from weak is because humility takes the strength of the Holy Spirit because it goes against our natural human nature. So when I'm up here and I talk about humility, let me be clear that I'm not referring to an emotionally needy type of humility that fishes um, for compliments in order to feel good about oneself. Nor am I talking about um, a slimy type of humility that, um, uh, that we show sometimes in order to uh, manipulate others, okay? The humility um, that Paul is talking about, it's a genuine type of humility. It's a humility that calls us to count others better than ourselves. Let's think about Jesus for a minute. Okay? Jesus counted Pilate better than himself. He counted Judas better than himself. Jesus counted the Romans better than himself. He counts me better than himself. He counts you better than himself. And that is why he was born. He was born to unite us. And that is why he died, because that is what love does. And that is the type of humility that Paul is talking about. But then the, the question is, though, how do we put that type of humility into action with authenticity, right? How do we do that? And that's what my brother Connor is going to come up and tell you how to do. Thank you. Yes, I am. Good morning. My name is Connor. I'm the student ministry director here, and I am uh, happy to be hanging out with you guys this morning. Usually I'm over there hanging out with 7th through 12th grade, but this morning I get to hang out with the old people. Well, <laughs> old, older, older, not, not older. So um, also just so you know, uh, at the end of service, we'll be taking a vote on who did better preaching because only, only one of us is getting ordained today. So Randy thought, let's have our preach off. And so... Um, so just uh, put your vote in the uh, basket as it goes by. So. All right. Well, uh, Volina uh, took uh, most of the verses, left me with one. Thankfully, there's a lot packed into just this one verse. So let's check this out. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What I think is interesting here is that it says, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And it's not saying... It's not saying something that, uh, well, let me describe it this way. More often in the Bible, it refers to people who follow Jesus as those in Christ instead of Christians. I thought that was really interesting. So that's what this verse is talking about. It's not talking to one individual person. It's not talking to all of them as individuals. It's talking to them as those in Christ. It's talking to them as a whole, one unit, one body. It's kind of like one of the examples I give to students when they decide to get baptized, when they decide to follow Jesus. Um, I give them the example like that it's getting on a roller coaster. 
When you make this decision to get in the roller coaster, you're taking a seat, you're sitting down, you're putting on the straps, and you are giving the roller coaster complete control. You are trusting that the roller coaster is going to hold you in, take you on this magnificent adventure, and bring you back home safe in the end. On the roller coaster, there's going to be a lot of twists and turns. There's going to be parts that are thrilling, parts that are scary. There's going to be parts where you don't know what's coming up next or how big the next drop is going to be. But ultimately, you know that the path is laid out ahead of you and that you can have confidence in the future. You can know that this ride is the best thing for you, that it's going to be the best life that could be chosen for you. And one of the best parts about being on this roller coaster is you're not alone. There are many others right there on this roller coaster going on the same ride, taking the same twists and turns, going around the same turns, all of that. So you can have comfort and peace knowing that you are not alone in this and that you're in this together. In Christ, we are already united. So as we talk about having this being united in selfless and humble love, the thing is, we are already united in Christ. As much as we might try to become united, the thing is, when you're in Christ, you are already united. We're all in the same train car. We're heading the same direction. We are one movement, and this should change things for us. Specifically, I'm going to talk about how being in Christ changes the way we talk. We have a new united language. We speak as a united people, and this changes our phrasing of things. So let's look at the first one. When you have this united language, when you're in Christ, you change your me to we. So last year I got married, and uh, it's been a little over a year, and for some reason I still haven't perfected it. I'm still not really good at being married. I thought, like, it's, a, it's been a year already, and I'm not perfect. And the problem is, though, when I've talked to other married men who've been married for a lot longer, and I ask them, okay, how do I, how do I get better at being married? And they said, well, it's a steep learning curve, and the textbook changes every year. <laughs> so that's encouraging. So I got that going for me. I'm, not, I'm never going to stop trying. Um, but yeah, so I got married. And before I got married, I had this conversation in premarital counseling. And it was essentially like this. Connor, right now, basically, you are living 100% for yourself. As much as you love your wife, Emily, as much as you love your future wife, Emily, you are living 100% for yourself. And when you get married, you're going to be living 100% for your marriage. And I was like, oh, okay, so I care for myself 50%. I care for her 50%. Okay, that makes sense. And it's like, no, no, no. You are caring for your marriage 100%. You're caring for what you are together 100%. It's like that verse in Mark, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. From the moment I got married, I now live as someone joined together with my wife. I now live in my new identity, and my motto is, it's not about me anymore. It's about what we are together. It's not about me anymore. It's what we are together. And it's not like I need to behave in a certain way to become more and more married. That's not how it works. My wedding made me 100% a married man. I am already in my new identity as a married man. And I need to start acting in a way which is consistent with the new identity that I have. Sure, as I said before, I am not awesome at being married, and my behavior is going to get better, but my identity is already set that I am joined together with my wife. 
It is the same exact way when you give your life to Jesus. You are joined together. From the moment I ask Jesus into my heart, I now live as someone joined together with him. I now live in my new identity as a follower of Jesus. And my motto is, it's not about me anymore. It's what we are together. It's not like I need to behave a certain way to earn this new status. It's not like I become more and more in Christ. From the moment I gave him my life, I am already in Christ. Sure, as I said before, I am not awesome at being a follower of Jesus. But my behavior is going to get better and better. Despite that, my identity is already that I am united as one with Jesus. So you change your me to we. Here's another phrasing that changes. You change your you to we. So when you're talking to someone else who is in Christ, you change you to we. Let me give you an example, another marriage example. It all fits in, don't worry. Another thing I learned pretty early on uh, when I got married is that you don't say you statements anymore, and you don't ask you questions. I'll give you some examples. For those who don't know what I'm talking about, I'll give you some examples. So I don't say, oh, uh, what are you doing tonight? And she'll say, well, there's a lot of chores to get done. And I say, oh, so you're doing chores. Okay, so you're doing chores, and I'll watch Stranger Things. Okay, cool. That's one of the, another thing you don't say. You don't say, uh, hey, what are your plans this weekend? She said, uh, visiting my grandparents. Oh, so you're going to visit your grandparents. Okay, stranger things. That's what I'm doing, okay? <laughs> so you do that, and I'll just stay home. And you definitely, definitely do not say this. Oh, looks like you got your paycheck. What are you going to spend your money on? I haven't decided what I'm going to spend my paycheck on, but oh, do you want to borrow some of my money? Oh, okay. It, it, for anybody married in the room, you know that those do not fly. Those become we statements. We are doing our chores. We are going to visit our grandparents. We have this combined income. What are we going to spend our money on? The same way when you're speaking with another person in Christ, you change your you to we. Instead of you need to work on your sin issues, it's we need to work on our sin issues together. It's not, I can tell you're going through a lot right now. It's we are going to go through this together. It's not you are called to unite in selfless and humble love. It's we are called to unite in selfless and humble love. And the statement is this, it's not just you. We are in this together. So if you're planning on leaving today and uh, telling a friend or family member, you know, uh, uh, from the message this morning, uh, she was right. You could totally use some selfless, humble love. It's we can use some selfless and humble love together. So that's another phrasing that changes. Here's another thing. You change your they to we. My wife's family, they do things a little differently than my family. Um, when uh, everybody gets together with my family, uh, we like to play a lot of board games, which is her family, they don't as much, which is totally fine. It's just different. When my family gets together, we kind of have an itinerary. We're like, okay, breakfast at 9 a.m., uh, then we'll go on a walk at 10.30, and we'll see an early movie after lunch. And when we're with her family, it's a little less scheduled, which is fine. It's just different. And her family does something really interesting with uh, Christmas lists as well. When they're asking each other what they want for Christmas, it's literally, what do you want for Christmas? And they send each other Amazon links <laughs> to what they want 
And when they open it up, it's like no surprise because they already told them, all right, grandma, you get me this. Mom, you get me this. It, there's no surprise to it. And it's fine. It's just different. <laughs> so they do things differently than my family. They are different than my family. And if you're catching on, that phrasing doesn't work anymore because that changed at my wedding. Their family is as much my family as she is to mine. We are one family. It's not that my family switched or I got a new family. It's that my family just got a whole lot bigger. So do you talk about your church family the same way? When you talk about this church, do you say, oh, Windsor, yeah, they started at 1045. My old church started at 1030. Uh, yeah, they're great, but they just need to get better at their evangelism. Uh, yeah, their messages are awesome, but sometimes they have the student pastor speak when they've run out of options. <laughs> These are all meant to be we statements. Yes, Windsor, we start at 1045. Yes, Windsor, we are working on getting better at evangelism. Uh, yeah, Windsor, the messages are great, and we sometimes have the student pastor speak, and we totally prefer it. <laughs> so maybe, maybe not that last one, but you get the idea. It changes to we. So I have some questions for you here. Do you view this church as somewhere you attend or somewhere you belong? Do you view this church as a room filled with people or a room filled with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you have a sense of ownership and responsibility for what happens in and through this church? Ultimately, whatever, you're, whatever you feel like this church family does differently than what you're used to, it's not the details and ways of things that brings us together in this room, it's Jesus. The entire reason we are here, the entire reason we do everything that we do in and through this church and the community is Jesus. And that brings us to our last phrasing. You change your us to Jesus. So whenever you feel like there are issues in the body of Christ, whenever our egos flare up, whenever our preferences come out, whenever things start to divide us, our combined motto is, it's not about us, it's about Jesus. So maybe you're having this kind of passive-aggressive thing with somebody in your regular row that keeps stealing your seats. You've got to say, it's not about us, it's about Jesus. Maybe you come in and you hear a song, and you're like, oh, they're playing this song again. I'm not a fan of this song. You've got to say, it's not about us, it's about Jesus. Whatever it is that's starting to divide you from your brothers and sisters in Christ, You've got to say, it's not about us, it's about Jesus. And you're probably thinking at this point, Connor, what does this have to do with Christmas? Okay, we walk in this morning and we see the amazing decorations. You've got two Christmas trees behind you right now, and you're making me feel guilty about hating the people that steal my seats every morning. I thought we were going to come in and sing A Little Town of Bethlehem and see kids dressed up as shepherds, misquoting the Christmas story. But no, you're just shaming me this morning. Here's what this has to do with Christmas. Everything. Jesus was born to unite us. Jesus was brought into this world to connect what was disconnected and to unify what was divided. God's heart was aching over the division he saw between himself and man and the division he saw between man and man. 
So he was born so that we could be in him, that we could unite our humanness with his divinity. Jesus was born to bring us back together. He was born to bridge the gap. He was born to fix the broken relationships. He was born so we, we could be born again. And when we were born again, our identity is not in ourselves. It's in what we are together. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 says this. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Because Jesus was born and died on our behalf, we can be found in Christ, and when we are Christ, we are given righteousness from God. We are made right simply by being in Christ. We can find comfort and peace knowing that when we are in Christ, we are safe. We are on that same train car, heading in the same direction, worshiping the same Savior, going through the same things. And when we pull back into that station at the end, we can have comfort knowing that we made it through it all, united in Christ. You are called to unite in selfless and humble love, and praise God, in Christ, we are already united. In a moment, we're going to remember this sacrifice uh, through communion. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 11 through 15 says this. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Jesus was born. He lived a perfect, sinless life, and he died on the cross, breaking the power of sin and death. So this morning, as we join together as one body united in Christ, we remember Jesus for what he did for us. So let's pray.